0: Um, So, we are continuing, we are closing our series, Call Me the Breeze, a series on the Holy Spirit. So throughout this series, uh, we've attempted to discuss the various aspects of the third person of the Trinity, uh, uh, a person that some have claimed um, that the church at large has neglected. Um, And we talked about a couple of very important uh, principles about the Holy Spirit. First of all, that the Holy Spirit, that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. We're talking about Yahweh, the one living God of Israel. We also talked about how the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not an abstract force. He is a personal presence. Um, Then we also talked about how the Holy Spirit is primarily this is a little um, this is a little tricky the Holy Spirit is primarily ordinary now what that means is is he's not just he's not boring he's not a mild man or you know you know God or something he, he, he's just uh, as present with you we said when we say that the Holy Spirit is ordinary we mean that the Holy Spirit is just as present with you on a Wednesday afternoon as he is on a Sunday morning now that being said, that isn't to say that there isn't something special that happens when God's people gather for worship, but it doesn't mean that the Spirit neglects us in our times when we don't might not feel particularly moved by it. Also, <clears throat> we heard from Jesus that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Um, he is the living Spirit of God who is on our side. Um, He's our helper, our counselor, our comforter, our keeper then last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit is evangelical. Um, He is all about empowering the church to proclaim the gospel to the whole world. As such, the Spirit is interested in the church being all-inclusive. The Spirit is interested in the church living into its diversity for the sake of unity. There is no one person, there is no... uh, one individual. There is no one in the world that isn't invited to be a part of the Lord's table. And then finally, last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit um, is our guarantee. And actually, the word guarantee could be translated down payment. Um, The Holy Spirit is our down payment for new creation that that this world that, that, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us and, and therefore all of creation towards cosmic reconciliation, the bringing together of all things in Christ. So that's kind of the, the, the important kind of posts as we as we march forward and kind of go into today. I want to close the series today by discussing what exactly it looks like for the spirit to empower the church. More specifically, what it means for the spirit to empower the people of the church. Specifically, I wanna talk about these things called spiritual gifts. So what's a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a specific gift that God has given you um, personally, through which he intends to fulfill his purposes. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is a specific gift that God has given you personally through which he intends to fulfill his purposes. Now, if that sounds rather supernatural, um, I ask you to recall that third point about how the, the, about the Holy Spirit that I made earlier, that the Holy Spirit is primarily ordinary. This is one of the areas where that really plays out. Um, so, so The bottom line is with it, what is it that makes you, you? Spiritual gifts, they're not about selfish ambition or personal glory. They're about God building His kingdom. But that doesn't mean that He's not going to use your talents and skills that He gave you for His purpose. I think about the members of our worship team and the, and the worship that we were guided into this morning. Clearly, these uh, people have, um, the Spirit is working through them to usher us into a worshipful experience. Amen. But I also think about how many brilliant people there are just in our congregation. People who um, are, have this scientific, incredible minds. People who can just mine data and turn it into useful information for the sake of the world. Uh, Scientists and scholars. I also think of of people who have given their lives. So many of you have given your lives to the education and to the upbringing of of others, specifically young children. Or people who are especially gifted um, at hospitality or crafting an environment. Uh, The list could go on and on and on. Years ago, the church would host, uh, churches would host um, what was called spiritual gift seminars. Basically, you would come to this day long seminar and you'd take a test uh, that would help kind of guide you into a better understanding of your particular spiritual gift. Now, at their best, these seminars would, would be the start of a conversation about how the Spirit is made manifest, can be made manifest in your personal life. It's possible that you've taken a a test like that uh, and you've been affirmed in the result or or maybe maybe you learned something new about yourself. For instance, maybe you never realized how strong a gift of wisdom you had until it was kind of laid out for you on paper. Or maybe you never realized that your administrative gifts or your gifts of hospitality could be used for God's glory and a seminar or a test like this kind of helped you see that. Uh, I've taken uh, various tests myself over the years, I, I tend to, to score differently kind of depending on what mood I'm in, um, uh, I, I tend to score high. On what's called discernment basically you know sensing God's activity in a person or a situation um, and apostleship which is basically like spiritual entrepreneur looking for the thing that needs to be started Um, but but that being said there there are a few reasons why spiritual gift seminars aren't as popular as they used to be first of all the lists in the Bible were never meant to be uh, exhaustive we're gonna look at one of those passages in a moment They do indeed less spiritual gifts. But but as Jason has talked about before when we preached through 1 Corinthians um, several times, uh, the point is not to treat this like uh, Myers-Briggs personality test or something. Um, The point was never to give you kind of a narrow view of how you should be spending your kingdom energy. Uh, The point is always to see how God intends to use your life for his purposes. Another reason why gift inventories aren't very helpful is because they can kind of pile, uh, help you pile on excuses as to why you don't have to do the things that you're called to do. Uh, For instance, just because you scored low in mercy doesn't mean that you're not called to be merciful. Uh, I typically score very low on administration. I'm not particularly gifted when it comes to organization. You come back to my office, you're going to see piles of papers and stacks of of books and old boxes and old mail and half-eaten apples. I'm constantly uh, losing things like my glasses and my keys, um, and I am extremely forgetful. So that being said, though, it's good for me to acknowledge my shortcomings. Um, but, But that doesn't excuse me from my responsibilities. Administration is still a part of my job, and it's still a part of life. I can't ignore it just because I'm not gifted in it. Let's be clear, someone has to clean the toilet, whether it's their spiritual gift or not. Could someone's spiritual gift, now that being said, could someone's spiritual gift be cleaning? Absolutely. Praise God that there are some people in this world who are just gifted at getting spaces clean. Mark Ludwig comes to mind. Man is an animal of cleanliness, but he lives in Garrett County now, so someone else cleans the toilet. Anyway, what was I saying? The point is this. All are called to kingdom responsibilities. But there are some things that you are called to specifically. God has wired you in a certain way. You have talents that are actually gifts given to you by God that he desires for you to give away to others for the building of his kingdom. Uh, Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. That's the Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, not the rice guy. God's desire is that all of our gifts would work together for the advancement of the gospel, He's evangelical. Therefore, no gift, no one gift is more important than any others. And that's what Paul was getting at when when he was writing to the church in Corinth. In Corinth, it appeared that, that some were treating certain gifts as more important than others. And it was causing these great divisions among the people of God. Uh, the passage we'll look at today, uh, it contains um, some language that you've probably heard before at weddings. And I think that that can be appropriate, um, but the thing to remember about this whole section is that it's actually about spiritual gifts and about how the spirit is made manifest in the life of the people of God. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we are going to begin in verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And another is uh, given the utterance of, of knowledge uh, according to the same spirit. They, they kind of work together, right? Um, have you ever heard? Well, I think I've probably said this a thousand times, but the difference between knowledge and, and wisdom. Uh, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Knowledge is knowing that a street is a one way street, wisdom is looking both ways anyway, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These two forces are working together. Anyway. To another, faith by the same Spirit, Paul says. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. A quick word. On speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. It's right there in the Bible. So of course that means we want to take it seriously. Speaking in tongues, it can be defined, it can be defined as um, speaking mysteries in the spirit. And its counterpart to that is the interpretation of those mysteries. As we saw um, at Pentecost, there was a unifying um, that was happening amongst the people of God. Um, So the the speaking of tongues was a way to promote unity and clarity and worship, not not division and confusion. Apparently, it was this specific issue that was particularly divisive in the Corinthian church. Whatever speaking in tongues means, and the truth is we're not 100% sure because by nature it's a mysterious thing, Paul was upset that some seemed to be using this for their own glory. Making it seem like those who exercised that gift were like the especially spiritual ones. Because it's in the Bible, we want to take it seriously. But also want to speak honestly. And while I've personally never experienced the speaking of tongues as authentic, as an authentic part of of my faith, that's no reason why it isn't real. The, The bottom line is here that if the Holy Spirit is in it, I want to celebrate it. If the Holy Spirit is truly a part of this manifestation of of the Spirit in a person, I want to affirm it in that person. If that is the way that God would like to help me grow, grow closer to Him and to love others, I'm all in. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when He spoke so harshly about the deadly danger of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. When you are so utterly convinced that the things of God are actually the things of evil, that is a, a deadly path. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us in His truth. If something really is of the Spirit, we want to affirm it. We want to celebrate it. For, <clears throat> Paul continues in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, church, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that's my impression of a foot, that would not make it any less of a part of the body and if the ear should say well because i'm not an eye i don't belong to the body that's my impression of an ear that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of paul Uh, where would be the sense of smell and we want to say "Ooh, paul that's deep you know, think about ear people walking around that can't smell. <laughs> but, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Where would the collective unit be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet to the hand, uh, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts, they don't require This, this is why we celebrate people who are behind the scenes because the person in spotlight doesn't need any more spotlight than they already have because they're in spotlight. So let's bring out those behind the scenes and celebrate them, make sure that they know that they are loved and affirmed and that they are valued, they are a central part of what the church is all about. Paul goes on, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gift of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, but but are all apostles? You know, is everybody an apostle? Are all prophets? Is everybody a prophet? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, no. But, but you guys keep desiring the higher gifts. You guys keep going after this um, uh, with your ambition. And it's causing division, Paul saying. No one person can do this. The Spirit has crafted His church so that in Christ we are greater than the sum of our parts. Years ago, my first job in ministry was was an an elementary intern for Grace Fellowship Church. It was actually 20 years ago uh, this month that I started there. I printed lessons and I cleaned classrooms and I answered emails and I painted walls and I attended lots and lots of meetings. It was a great first job. Uh, to have because in ministry, I had other jobs before that, but um, even though I was exposed to one small aspect of church ministry in my daily duties, it, it also allowed me to to see the big picture of, of what it meant to work on a church staff. I started that job as this 18-year-old kid, and I was, it wasn't long before I found myself in rooms that I thought I'd never be in. Have you ever had one of those like professional experiences where you look around, you start looking around at everyone else in the room and you start think, like, what the heck am I doing in this room? I don't even deserve to breathe the same air as these people. I'm just some kid from Parkville. What am I doing here? But my boss at the time, he would do this most incredible thing. He'd introduce me to people, these people who I had grown up, listening to and learning from, these people who were my heroes. And he would use my full name. That may not seem like an incredible thing, um, but, but it actually meant a lot. Being introduced at all was, was more affirmation than I'd ever experienced in my life. But, but even more important than that, it, it, it wasn't, hey, this is our intern, Joe, you can get him to do something if you want. It was far more intentional than that. It was, have you met Joe Miller? And then he'd say something to this person who was my hero that was kind. And he would mention some detail about me that, that meant that he had listened to something that I had said earlier. And I felt like I mattered. I felt like I had purpose, like I had business there. The whole encounter couldn't have taken more than 20 seconds. But here I am talking about it 20 years later. The challenge in Corinth, the challenge with any organization, is that it's easy to make the flashiest gifts appear to be the most important. As we've talked about before, the most dangerous thing about my job is that that any of us could see, that any of you could see me as New Hope personified. Since I want to represent New Hope well, that's not a completely bad thing, um, but it's certainly um, wouldn't be great if it seemed like it all depended on me. It doesn't. My job is to help you see that it all depends on Jesus. In Christ, that's where you have everything that you need. In Christ, you have enough. <laughs> In Christ, you have an abundance. In Christ, you can live into the gifts that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to live out so that you, you can be the church. It takes a lot of people to make a church run and I think that is what Paul is saying that there is no one who deserves glory but God. Now we can affirm one another in Christ the the way my boss did at Grace and we can even make a special point of celebrating those who work behind the scenes so that they don't forget forgotten. But the thing that we should truly celebrate primarily celebrate is that God is working through us collectively to accomplish His kingdom goals. This is why one of the marks of being what we call fully engaged at New Hope is that you would serve on a team. We want to be a church that, that encourages you to use your gifts to glorify God. We want to be a better church. We are a better church because you are a part of us. I can honestly say that about each and every person listening to my voice right now. We're a better church because you are here. And if you're not already a part of our family, we we want you to be a part of our family. It's vital that we say that. We love that you're here, at least online. And we love you exactly as you are because God loves you exactly as you are. Even though he doesn't intend to leave you as you are. He intends to build into those gifts that He's given you. He intends to to build into your character to help fulfill the needs of His church. And that's the point of all of this. That collectively, we would use our God-given gifts to build for His kingdom. And then we do it in the shape of love. When you use your spiritual gifts for the purposes of His kingdom... It is an expression of God's love for the world. That's why it is so crucial, and Paul does that here, it's so crucial to speak of love in the same breath as spiritual gifts. Paul puts it this way. He says, you know, you you guys might be, you're all striving to be the big shot. You're striving to just get higher. But, But you know what? Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's not a, uh, a dig on percussionists, by the way. I mean, the, the whole idea of, uh, of an orchestra really plays into what Paul is saying. A percussionist matters. A percussionist matters. But if But if all they do is start... Banging gongs or banging cymbals, um, so that you can't hear the violins, and you can't hear the flutes, or you can't hear the saxophones. Then nobody's working together the way they should. Paul says, "If I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I don't, and I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned." But I don't have love, I gain nothing. The dangers is of turning love into merely an emotion, right? Love, though, agape love, it, it looks like something. Love is action. Love takes effort. Love takes intentionality. Therefore, your spiritual gifts, the work that you do for His kingdom, should be executed with this sort of care. What Paul says, love, your spiritual gift exercised through love, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. For tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away, Paul says. For, for now, we know in part, and we prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, when, when heaven and earth are unified, the partial will pass away. Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But then I became a man, I, I gave up childish ways. There was a growth there. For now, though, in this, our present reality, you know, we're seeing this and the work that we're doing and how it all fits together. We're seeing this, um, as Paul says, uh, we see in a mirror, dimly. We're seeing just a little tiny bit, of but, but one day, One day we're going to see this cosmic reconciliation face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. So these, think about that that, that principle of... of of the guarantee, of the down payment, like that these little things that God is doing in my life, these gifts that He's been given to me, one day those things will truly be made manifest when I can truly put down this this ugliness, this distortion of sin in my life and truly live in the presence of God in the unified, reconciled heavens and earth, that is when I will truly find my ultimate purpose and, and His promise for me. So, for now, Faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But, but the greatest of these is love. To, to turn love into merely an emotion, it's to do a serious discredit to it. Whatever you do, church, whatever spiritual gift you have, whatever you put your hands to, whatever you say with your mouth, whatever you type to others on social media, It has to be in the shape of love, or it is to be of no value to the kingdom. And Paul is pretty darn specific. What does love look like? What does it look like when you're using your spiritual gifts for the purposes of love? It looks like patience, because not everybody's perfect. It looks like kindness, because kindness is more important than being right. It looks like being content Not looking for envy, or what other thing do I need? No, being content with not having all the answers. And it looks like being humble. Living into a cruciform life that models the cross. that, That picks up my cross and lives a sacrificial life for the sake of others. Honoring them more important than me, myself. None of this, none of us have all of this figured out. Right now, each and every one of us has only seen the universe through our one tiny little angle of our existence. So we trust. What do we do in the meantime but while, while, we, while we live on this world, in this world? We trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us as our counselor, our comforter, our keeper. We trust that, that He will help us do our part. And we trust that He is the Spirit of the one true and living God. Guiding us along with the rest of creation towards cosmic reconciliation. None of us have all the answers. None of us were asked to do this and solve the world's problems on our own. We need each other, and we certainly need Him. So for now, live into your gifts, live into your talents, live into your skills, live into His Spirit. But do it all for love. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us in the truth of love. Help us to not see love as merely an emotion. As merely as a warm, fuzzy feeling that we have towards others. No, love is an intentional effort. To love others sacrificially help us to do that difficult business of knowing that love is going to cost us something true love is going to cost us something it's going to cost us um, our pride it's going to cost us this idea that that, um, that we keep telling ourselves that we are supposed to solve um, the problems of this world no father we are leaning into you we're leaning into your spirit and we're living into King Jesus who is on the throne even now. Even now King Jesus is on the throne. So so we get this now and not yet this idea that 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 even though things haven't been been consummated, even though that cosmic reconciliation hasn't happened right now, we have every freedom in Christ to be the church right now, to live into love right now, to have agape towards each other right now. That gives us courage, that should drive us, that should motivate us to go into this broken world and be the church, to proclaim the name of Jesus to every human being and to welcome everyone into the Lord's table. Father, that's the attitude we have as we build this church, as we build the church worldwide. We do it all for your glory and by your empowering Holy Spirit. It's all of this in the name of our son, of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray.